Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Mick Jones of Foreigner, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 14 of Music Is Not A Genre, MXG. I think I nailed the hand gestures that time. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. If you are just listening, don't forget to go to youtube.com slash at musicisnotagenre, where you get all the lovely videos of every single episode. And, of course, at patreon.com slash musicisnotagenre is where you get bonus episodes for every episode, bonus video for every episode, and a whole bunch of other things. And uh, if you're watching, you can stream just the audio pretty much anywhere, uh, like every podcast. And let's get right to it. Let's get right into it this week. The topic is, what's an album and why? Part three the three decades of the 1970s. So just to catch you up before I jump into this, uh, if you are just joining me, that's kind of lame. You really should have watched every single episode. And I just want you to know that right off the bat that I I already uh, detest you. And I'm going to have to deal with that as I process this. And that's not easy for somebody who's in the middle of trying to do a good episode, but that's on you. That's not on me. Uh, And please accept that as you are... as you're watching or listening. But what it is this week is the continuing saga of the album. First two episodes of this series, I did a prehistory, the history of how an album developed in the 1950s, and then I did the 1960s. So here we are in the 1970s, and I subtitled this the three decades of the 1970s. So why? Uh, Well, there are a couple of reasons of that. Of course, the 70s would be broken into three decades because it was a decade of excess. And uh, it just sounds like, yeah, sure, it's three decades in one. But also, musically speaking, I feel like there's a real distinction between the first part of the decade, the middle part, and the later part. Now, that can be said of really every decade, honestly. I mean, that's just how, you know, modern times work, especially. But my contention is that it was even more true in the 70s because of what was developing and how quickly it was developing and things were expanding left and right. I mean, uh, the album really expanded in this decade as much as it possibly could, given the existing limitations. And I've talked often about how format and technology very much dictate how we make music. 
you know, uh, you know that uh, 78 was three or four minutes and that's what a single was and things like that. Uh, the first 33 and a third was 35, 40 minutes, whatever. And so that's the length of an album. And that held true pretty much. You could squeeze a little bit more out of it. Uh, as time went on, they made it tighter and, you know, I believe it reduced the sound quality or whatever, but it, it's vinyl and you can have your opinions about whether or not vinyl is superior or inferior. By the way, for those of you who are just listening, uh, you can go ahead and, and maybe just uh, mute, mute the next like 20 seconds. I'm going to be pointing out it, behind me, I have a couple of LPs. Uh, from the 1970s. I didn't buy them in the 1970s, but uh, they are uh, Leonard Skinner and Traffic. I just happened to have them in my collection. I thought I should put something up there as far as a sample of you know what was going on at the time and that I own them. And also here, uh, as recommended by my producer, my wife, I have a vintage 45 case from the 1970s that I I've owned since then. Uh, you can see the swirl design actually does exist on the cardboard here. That's not an illusion uh, based on drug use. Uh, and there's a ton of, you know, 45s in here. This is not an episode on 45s, but I wanted to point out here uh, Le Freak by Chic. Uh, that was one of the 70s 45s that I own. And if I uh, had a lot of money, I would just throw all this on the floor right now instead of having to gently place it. So that I could save time, but those were that that was uh that was prop corner, uh, and now let's get back to our show. So yeah, the seventies excess. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be talking about how prog rock and and classic rock blew up in a way that by the middle of the decade was considered excessive and punk and and funk and disco and and hip hop came along and kind of washed all that away and reset the, the you know the way music was being made that's been talked about a lot i may refer to it here and there as the decades move on but that's kind of not the main point and since it's been covered a million times it's not really something i want to but i do want to say that in any period of great creativity and freedom and expansion you are going to get the absolute best and the absolute worst because that's the kind of freedom that exists there and i think you can't get to the best unless you also have the worst because if you are worried about creating the worst you will restrict yourself to the point where you won't be able to create the best and this you know the 70s I mean, people revere this decade as maybe the height of uh, album uh, creativity, uh, especially when it comes to concept albums, but really, uh, and, and then production and, and recording quality and all of that kind of hit a peak there. Uh, I will talk about in a second about how I kind of have a love-hate with that. But uh, the, to me, the thing that defines the seventies is the, is the excess and the ability to have the kind of freedom to go anywhere, which we all do, but the industry was kind of on board with it at the time, which is, uh, which has only really happened, uh, since then one other time when, when we get to the nineties, the uh, I'll talk about that. It's happened again in the internet age, but sort of apart from the industry, or the you know, if if you could say that, and I think that's significant because 
you know, without the industry, it's very difficult for musicians to make money. So overview of this episode, it's going to be my usual year by year uh, general comments on the development of the album. I'm going to mention the top selling albums, notable debuts, uh, other notable albums of that year. Most of uh, uh, where I get this from is Wikipedia and also a site called You Discover Music. The U being the letter U, uh, all one word, udiscovermusic.com, I believe. You can go ahead and look that up and you'll find a lot of great information there. Uh, And then, of course, conclusions and questions and the featured song, which is going to be fun. And as I mentioned, bonus video for every episode. For every full episode, you get a bonus video. The bonus video at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. For this episode is artists who went disco. And by that, I mean artists who were not originally disco, who decided to venture into disco. Uh, and I'll talk. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to expand on it because that's what Patreon is for. Uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I'm as excited about the bonus video as I am uh, for this main video. So quick disclaimers before we get into the meat of the murder here. Uh, I am going to miss a lot. Because, of course, because you don't want a 16-hour episode or whatever it will be for me to name every single album that came out in any given year. And because tastes vary and there might be people out there who say, but you missed my favorite album. Of course, I probably missed your favorite album. Or, I, you know, I mention albums that you don't understand why I mention them because I'm throwing in some of my favorites or some, some things that were considered notable. I don't, as you know, with music is not a genre, I don't stick to rock. That's something that kind of bores me as a musician and as a music lover to stick to one genre. And uh, people out there who are super rockheads who love rock, that's me too. I grew up that way in a lot of ways, but I also grew up with pop. I grew up with funk and dance and techno and disco and hip hop and all of those things. I grew up with ambient and folk and, and all of it. So whatever came out in any given year, jazz, uh, you know, easy listening, I'm going to mention it because that's part of my objective here. Uh, my other disclaimer was, you know, not ex- not spending a lot of time on prog rock and the excess and all that stuff. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
And my third one is this. I really do have a love-hate relationship with the 1970s. And let's go with the hate first because you want to end on a positive note. It was often excessive. It was often cheesy. And I find that there are certain 70s artists who to this day are wildly overrated because the people who lived through it consider that some kind of heyday. And if you were uh, watching my recent episode or listening to it, that there's no such thing as a heyday, I stand by that. Uh, Even with albums, no such thing as a heyday. Uh, It's often cited by, and I'm going to read my note the way I wrote it, Neanderthal white dudes as the pinnacle of music. I love you guys. And I've got that little bit of meatheadedness inside of me too. But I got to tell you, if you keep referring to the 60s or 70s or honestly even the 80s or 90s or whatever as the only time good music was made, then you're not living your fullest life. You're living in the past. And and as much as I can revere all that stuff, I've done so many episodes on why that's also kind of lame. And I like using the word lame because it's a throwback. So am I, am I, am I negating myself by that? Sure. Uh, it's often held up as the last time music was good and creative. Not true by any remote standard. Uh, it can be really overbearing and overstated from all quadrants. And I don't mean just the fans. I mean, the music itself was often quite overbearing in the seventies. It was segregated in the minds of both the industry people and, and people looking back. So you look back and the thing you think of as the 70s, or you might be a huge fan of R&B and just that warmth of people like Stevie Wonder and Curtis Mayfield and Isaac Hayes and Barry White and Marvin Gaye. Or you might be the one who was like, ah, oh, man, you know, Genesis and Yes and ELP and, and King Crimson and, and Prague and Jethro Tull and all that. Or you might be the uh, Led Zeppelin. Also Led Zeppelin, and oh, by the way, Led Zeppelin. All right, cool, great. And I agree, honestly, with a lot of that stuff. But, uh, you know, to me, I don't know, be a fan of what you want to be. I happen to be a fan of all of it. Uh, Even lots of fans at the time kind of segregated the music, but that sort of happened more towards the middle and later part of the decade. In the beginning of the decade, there was still a little bit of idealism in terms of the music being less segregated. And there were a lot of crossover influences from, uh, you know, white and black and multi-ethnic and and gay and straight and all that stuff. And then that would become more segregated as the decade went on uh, for reasons good and bad, mostly bad. Musician wise, it was much more integrated than we remember. There are a lot of bands that we might think of as all black bands, all white bands, not the case. And it's kind of neat to dive into that and to realize that this is, has generally been the case that most musicians uh, are are into playing with whoever's cool and whoever, you know, vibes with the kind of music they want to do, wherever you come from. Uh, and I'm going to say this out loud, uh, you know, um, uh, sensitivity warning. It wasn't, this wasn't the decade when musical masturbation started. That, w- that was really the 60s, in the mid to late 60s, when kind of psychedelic and drug and avant and freeform came, where it wasn't so much about the end product as it was the experience of, of the journey of doing what you were doing. Uh, but, it, but the 70s is really when it was, I think, at its height. And, and I say worst because I'm not a big fan of it. But if you're into that, uh, I'm sure you can, you know, dark side yourself and, and go dive in and find all the music that's fit to, you know, to vibe out to and 
and uh, get high to and go to sleep to. That's great. So that was my hate. Now, the love, oh, man, the 70s had some of my favorite artists and favorite music that has influenced me and my music, or they influenced people who influenced me uh, to such a large degree that this is one of the reasons why I'm excited about this episode. It is when recording techniques were perfected, sure, Digital came along and made other things possible, but as far as uh, the way music was mixed, you can go back to a lot of the music of the 1970s, and if it has been remastered to a certain level of volume, let's say, it is it is comparable to anything that's being released today, as opposed to the 1960s, there were certain ways things were recorded, technology was more limited, that that you can tell no matter how well something was was done, with few exceptions, some of the later Beatles stuff, etc., uh, that, it, that it came from an earlier era. Uh, and also... To me, once that excess was was scaled back and there was more immediacy that returned to both to recording and to the and to the way things were created, uh, it hit a sweet spot. As I've mentioned before, one of the sweet spots in production for me, and I have a few, uh, 1978 to 82, there was a dryness and crispness there. Uh, I, I've always loved that. And that is um, a hallmark of, you know, late 80s, mid to late 80s music, uh, some of it anyway. It also pioneered some genres in the decade that would shape the rest of music uh, to this day. Uh, hip-hop, electronic, funk, disco, dance, punk. So there's a lot to be said for the 1970s as not quite the time when all music that we're listening to today was started, but pretty darn close. There have been very few things that have come since then that have added some new element that wasn't somehow used in some way before. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big statement. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think this is such an important decade for music and for albums in general. Let's get to the meat, starting with 1970, uh, year by year, as I mentioned. And, uh, you know, first thing to say about this is, as with all decades, the beginning of a decade is more like the holdover from the previous decade. So the 1970 itself really felt and sounded a lot more like the 60s than what we think of as the quintessential 70s. Uh, perfect example, the first, the, the, in January 1970, the number one album in the charts was Abbey Road. So you have a holdover as a number one album from the 1960s. Uh, some of the other number ones uh, in that uh, year, 1970, Let It Be, uh, McCartney's debut solo album, uh, Led Zeppelin 2 II and 3 both reached number one. The soundtrack to Woodstock. So again, you're, you have this 60s holdover. Uh, albums by uh, Credence and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and Santana. Uh, Blood, Sweat & Tears number three. These were all number one albums of the year. And and that has that kind of holdover 60s feel for the most part. Uh, but the top album of the year, top selling album of the year at the time. And when I say top selling album, I'm not going retroactively because if you said that, then pretty much every year from 64 on to, to 70, the top selling album will be some kind of Beatles album. That wasn't the case at the time. As I mentioned 
you know, in the 60s episode, rock didn't become dominant until the very late 60s as far as sales and, and even influence and things like that. Uh, but for 1970, the top album of the year was Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water. It was the best-selling album of the year. So you can you can feel that kind of 60s. I wouldn't even call it a hangover. I have that written here. But to me, a hangover has a negative connotation. I feel like that hangover didn't happen until 71, 72, when you had some of the 60s icons dying and Kent State and, and, and Nixon and all that stuff. That's, to me, when it was the hangover. This was still like we're rocking through the, the 60s and just bringing it into the next decade. And so that was the flavor, yeah, of 1970. So some debut albums, which to me, what's interesting, what I love about this debut album section that I always put in is that it is going to mention artists who would end up defining later eras. And you may not realize how soon and how early they started their careers. So perfect example, uh, Black Sabbath's debut album in 1970. I mean, they would help to define 70s metal and beyond. Uh, Charlie Daniels' band, Curtis Mayfield's solo album. Diana Ross's first solo album was 1970. Uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer's first album. Clapton's first solo album. Uh, Fanny, the, the, the female group, the, they did a... Uh, was a documentary uh, was last year, year before The Right to Rock. I believe it was last year. Uh, Fanny, The Right to Rock. Great documentary. Check it out. This was when their first album came out. Funkadelic's first album was in 1970. Hawkwind, which uh, had some famous people in it. It was space rock. It was also proto-punk. It was really a, a band that nobody knows. I don't honestly know them that well, but it's worth digging into. The Jay Giles Band, who we associate with mostly the early 80s, started in 1970. Kraftwerk's first album was 1970, which surprised me. Uh, the Partridge Family's first album was 1970, which did not surprise me. And of course, Ringo's debut was also a uh, solo debut, was 1970, and was actually quite a success. Other notable albums of this year, uh, John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band, uh, Harrison's All Things Must Pass, Neil Young's After the Gold Rush, Van Morrison's Moondance, uh, T for the Tillerman, Cat Stevens, two Grateful Dead albums, James Brown's Sex Machine, Hendrix's Band of Gypsies, Elton John put out two albums, so it was still that 60s holdover where a lot of artists would put out more than one album in a year, which would really, really dwindle uh, almost to nothing at, at a certain point. Uh, James Taylor's Sweet Baby James, uh, The Kinks' Lola versus Power Man and the, Mo- and the Money Go Round. I think I maybe put that wrong. Part one. Uh, Marson Hotel from The Doors. Joe Cocker, Joni Mitchell. Aretha Franklin, Isaac Hayes, Cool and the Gang put out a great album that year prior to them ever being famous. Chicago's second album, which was amazing, double album, the second double album as well. Uh, Guess Who's American Woman, AB, uh, Jackson 5, ABC, lots of prog and proto-prog like King Crimson and the Moody Blues and Soft Machine, uh, Stevie's Wonders, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, and I'm going to mention a lot more on him later. Miles Davis's Bitches Brew, which was really the time had been a few years, and jazz was at this point kind of avaunting itself out of the mainstream, which is great because that's sort of where it needed to go, and it wouldn't swing back into kind of big sales and mainstream success until it uh, morphed into fusion, which happened in this decade. 
kind of slight looks ahead in this decade with some softer rock, progressive rock, proto-punk and funk, but again, mostly holdovers. Let's get to 1971. It's very similar to 1970, though some trends are starting to emerge that would define the decade. Uh, you had more uh, women singer-songwriters. You had more funk uh, creep, you know, creeping in where the rock already is. Uh, you had tr- the true emergence of progressive rock as a force and as a trend really was taking hold by 1971. Uh, as far as top albums, top selling albums, again, as always, especially in the beginning, some of these were put out the year before, but they made the charts here in 71. All Things Must Pass, again, was a number one. Uh, Janis Joplin's Pearl, uh, Sticky Fingers, uh, the Stones album. Uh, another Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young album reaching number one. Uh, Carol King's Tapestry, man. So what a year. And often there are people who say 71 was one of the best years in music history. And I think that might be true. Not the best year because I, I reject those kinds of statements. Uh, you have great years in every decade, probably multiple but one of the best years. Imagine John Lennon, uh, Isaac Hayes Shaft, uh, Santana and Rod Stewart had number one album. Sly and the Family Stone uh, had a number one album, but the number one album for the entire year was Jesus Christ Superstar. And I'm pretty sure it's the last, and I, I haven't done my 80s research, 90s, whatever. I'm pretty sure that may be the last time that a musical album hit uh, the was the number one album for the entire year of any given year. If I'm wrong, I can't wait to find out, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Again, sort of a holdover from the 60s when there were a lot of number one uh, albums and number one albums of the year that were musicals. Some notable debut albums. Uh was a big debut year for artists who, again, would define later years and decades, but even more so than 1970, I think. Bonnie Raitt, Carly Simon, Helen Reddy, Olivia Newton-John, all debut albums. Uh, uh, what's his name? Billy Joel's Cold Spring Harbor. Uh, John Prine. Bill Withers. Patti LaBelle's uh, solo uh, album, I believe. First solo is 1971. Doobie Brothers. Yacht Rock Baby and some great stuff. Uh, America. Uh, Earth, Wind & Fire's first album. ELO's first album. REO, Speedwagon's first album. The Stylistics' first album. Thin Lizzy. Weather Report, so Fusion was creeping in already. Wings, McCartney's, uh, you know, Wings' first album in 1971. And ZZ Top's first album. Other notable albums of the year, uh, War, Booker T and the MGs, Fleetwood Mac, uh, second more kind of folksy iteration after their kind of first couple of albums were more bluesy. Uh, More Elton John. Uh, Bob Marley was getting closer to his classic sound in this year. More Curtis Mayfield, more ELP. Alice Coltrane, Mahavishnu Orchestra. Uh, uh, There there were two years straight, and I think more, of surprisingly good Beach Boys albums under the radar at the time when they had passed their peak, especially in terms of sales. They were making albums in the early 1970s that were way more interesting and worthy than you might know. Al Green, uh, more Cat Stevens. Stevie Wonder getting closer to his signature 1970 sound, transitioning from that 1970 album. T-Rex, The Doors' final album. Traffic, boom, behind me. I don't think this was the 71 album, but it's close. Genesis, first with Phil Collins as part of the band, Nursery Crime. Uh, Van de Graaff Generator, which was progressive rock and punk kind of mixed together. The Yes album and Fragile 
both came out in 1971, which is really when they became the yes that we know and love. Another Funkadelic, uh, McCartney's Ram, Aqualung from Jethro Tull, more Black Sabbath, Bowie's Hunky Dory, which is really when he was starting to come into his own. The Who's next, man? Come on. The Who really killed in the 70s, way even way more than they did in the 60s. Joni Mitchell's Blue, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, which is apparently the best album ever in history, according to Rolling Stone. Led Zeppelin 4, Gil Scott Heron, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Yes, come on. Let's do one more, I believe, or two more years before we get to a break, which is 1972. Uh, I know that's a real surprise that I did 70 and 71 and followed it with 72, but I like to surprise my listeners and viewers. So 1972 still had a few holdovers, but really by now the decade is taking shape. Progressive rock is more prominent. Singer-songwriters are more dominant. Funk and funk-inspired music is really surging. But in general, one of the big trends is that things were mellowing out. Rock was mellowing out. Pop was mellowing out. Even in some ways, funk was mellowing out. Some of the top-selling albums of the year, uh, we have Carole King, again. Don McLean's Unstoppable American Pie, which was popular even when I was in college, that, that we'd have parties where everyone was singing that song. Uh, I usually went and got a drink or something to eat at that point. Uh, no, not a terrible song. I just, you know, it, it's it's whatever. Neil Young coming into his, home, his own with Harvest, which, by the way, that was the number one selling album of 1972, Neil Young's Harvest. Uh, America's uh, America, the band Soft Rock was sounding a lot like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and all their solo stuff. Like, you know, I oh, I grew up thinking Horse With No Name was like Neil Young or something like that. But it's America. And I always love that. Uh, Roberta Flack's album that she released in 1969 went to number one on the charts for the first time because her song, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, was featured in the Clint Eastwood movie play Misty for Me. And this happens all the time where music that was released in prior years surges either again or for the first time because of its use in a film. Uh, Jethro Tull's iconic Thick as a Brick, which was meant to be a mock progressive rock album and is also held up as one of the best progressive rock albums. And I love it. Uh, and uh, Exile on Main Street, The Stones... Honky Chateau, which is, uh, you know, more of Elton John's run of absolute domination in the early 70s, early to mid 70s. Chicago Five came out in 1972, which means they put out three, another double album. Four was like a quadruple live album, I believe. And then five was their first single album. And, it, and it's the one I said was my favorite of theirs. Um, Superfly, uh, Curtis Mayfield. Cat Stevens again, Moody Blues again. So you can see the shifting to mellow. It was actually a big year for Moody Blues because there were two hit singles from their current album in 72, but also 1967's Nights in White Satin was an even bigger hit in 72 than it was in 67 because there was more interest in the, you know, a band. Some notable debuts. Uh, Rick Springfield's first album was 1972, and he actually had a hit single. Was uh, I would look that up. It's kind of cool. It's called Speak to the Sky. Blue Oyster Cult debut. Tanya Tucker. Bette Midler. Divine Miss M. The Eagles debut album. Babe Ruth, the British band with the iconic song The Mexican, which was a crossover for progressive and dance and disco. Foghat. Can you get more 70s? Yeah, uh, Yes, you can. Dan Fogelberg. 
Uh, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, which was Philly International's Gamble and Huff. Come on. A lot of awesome Philly music in the 70s. Grover Washington, Jackson Brown, Looking Glass, who did Brandy or Fine Girl. They're from Rutgers, where I went uh, to college, so I always like to say that. Manford Man, Noi, which was Krautrock. George Winston's debut album. I did an episode on George. Roxy Music, Sticks, Peter Frampton. The Raspberries put two albums out, including their debut. They were Power Pop Pioneers. Hall & Oates, Hometown Heroes. First album, 1972. They're from Philly. Other notable albums. Stevie Wonder released both Music of My Mind and Talking Book. Which brings me to a comment I found on Quora. Jay Valencia made the point that for those who were around in the 70s, somebody asked, what was your reaction and thoughts when Stevie Wonder's classic period run with the albums released from Music of My Mind to Songs in the Key of Life at the time? And, the, and, and he said, a burst of creativity comparable to the Beatles several years earlier, except that Stevie was a one man doing all the writing and music and playing all the instruments without the power of sight. He mentions Rubber Soul Revolver and that run. Could any human top that? You be the judge. From 72 to 76, Stevie released Music of My Mind, Talking Book, Inner Visions, Fulfilling This this First Finale, and Songs in the Key of Life. Uh, And and I don't know if there is a run that was that powerful uh, other than the Beatles. Uh, you You can tell me if you can find another five album run like that. Uh, amazing. Continuing notable albums, uh, soft rock of the Beach Boys. Yes, they were still going strong, really, and underrated at the time. Uh, Doobie Brothers, their their album contained the hit Listen to the Music, 1972, so it's really when they kind of came to more prominence. Uh, Lennon's Sometime in New York City. Carly Simon, that album included You're So Vain. McCoy Tyner, Mott the Hoople. Uh, on that album, there was All the Young Dudes, written by Bowie. More uh, Joni Mitchell and Fleetwood Mac and Rod Stewart. Todd Rundgren, which is he's also from near where I grew up in the Philly area. Zappa at his finest in 72. The Temptations, Chick Corea, Almond Brothers, Eat a Peach had uh, Sweet Melissa, uh, Genesis, Steely Dan. Uh, that album had Do It Again and Reeling in the Year. So a big year for them, big first year for them, really. Uh, not their debut, but you know what I mean. Lou Reed, Big Star, Deep Purple. Miles Davis put out a great one. Aretha Franklin put out a great one. Ziggy Stardust from Bowie came out in 1972. Again, 71 and 72, just a powerhouse for music. Uh, Again, I'm going to say doesn't mean it was the only one or the best one, but honestly, what a run. And it's also the perfect time for us to take a break. Before we get into the rest of the decade, you have a lot to think about. And uh, give a listen to the promo here, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey, so I was going to do the usual and just list all of the links that I'd love for you to check out, but I realized that everything you need to know and everywhere you need to go is at nickdematio.com. That really is the hub. I list all the links in every episode just in case, but nickdematio.com is where I put everything that I do. If you want to know more about this podcast, whether it's the audio version or the YouTube version at youtube.com slash app music is not a genre or wherever else the podcast shows up, or if you want to support the podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre just go to nickdematio.com it's all there if you want to check out my full discography of original music and covers for my band rec rec and beyond it's at nickdematio.com including all the streaming and social links for wherever you listen to music and wherever you check out your social 
Uh, my acting clips are there. My voiceover clips are there. Graphic design, my blog, and most especially, it's the best place to contact me. If you go to nicktomadio.com slash contact or just hit the contact is on every single page, you can send me a note, say hello, ask me any questions you'd like. You get a newsletter a few times a month. And if you have a project of your own, and need work done for it, whether it's audio editing or music or voiceover or graphic design, or if you have an event and you need live music, go to nicktomadio.com, contact me, say hello, let me know what you need. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Crossfade, and we're back. I think I might say crossfade every single time in the midpoint. I just love saying that word. couple of notes before we get into 1973. Uh... How do you like my outfit? For those of you just listening, I've got a non 70s shirt on, but I'm wearing it in the 70s style because it's like three buttons undone or whatever. Uh, If you were an adult in the 70s, you can tell me if that's accurate or not. Uh, Second thing is you may notice you watchers out there that there's a new setup here. We're trying different things and we like to see, you know, what works as far as background and just the general kind of framing and all of that stuff. But also, uh, I've got a TV in this room that I could have been using as a teleprompter this entire time, and we're still working on the general placement of everything. But uh, I love that I can see all of the words that I that I need a little bit closer to uh, you know camera sight. That that can be improved greatly if you go to patreon.com slash music is not a genre and donate there, become a monthly subscriber, and then I can upgrade all this equipment or, you know, or give you a T-shirt. I would love to give you a T-shirt. So let's get to 1973. 1973, very messy, very non-directional, really quintessentially 1970s as far as I'm concerned. And uh, it was kind of the way the not late 90s were, which again, we'll get to that when we get to that decade. Uh, but I just heard a recent podcast that we're talking about how then in the 90s, late 90s, they also didn't really know where music was going. So they kind of threw everything up to see what would stick. And that was what was happening really to me in the 1970s. Nobody was quite sure where the new trends were. So it opened everything up and it went everywhere. Uh, and you can tell by the top albums of the year, number one albums, Carly Simon, uh, War. A band that not a lot of people know, again, you need to go back and listen because they were kicking ass and they were at the top of their game. And that was also the top album of 1973 was War's album. Two more albums from Elton John. Slow down, dude. Uh, Dueling Banjos, because of course, sure, 1970s, that was a number one album. And I remember that song, had no idea that the album was number one, uh, but it was because of the movie Deliverance, which, you know... I quote a couple times, never saw the movie. Be nice if I saw the movie that I'm quoting. Uh, Diana Ross's Lady Sings the Blues. Alice Cooper's Billion Dollar Babies, which included No More Mr. Nice Guy. So it's sort of really when he came, uh, you know, to the fore. Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side in 1973, Dark Side of the Moon. Elvis' live album, uh, he was really running into a resurgence at this point. Uh, Led Zepp's Houses of the Holy. Uh, The Beatles' Blue Album, 1967 to 1970, a huge seller. Wings' Red Rose Speedway which was really McCartney's kind of return to the chart success or album success, let's say, uh, from 1970 being big for him, but 71, 72, a little bit less so. Uh, Harrison's Living in the Material World, Chicago 6, Jethro Tull put out, uh, had a number one album. These are all number one albums, again. Almond Brothers, number one album. Uh, Goat's Head Soup from the Stones, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, 
uh, was starting to get hard to deny that the mid seventies had the best collection of classic albums. And I mean, I hate saying that, but that's, uh, that's a great album. And, uh, and honestly, uh, still in 73, you were talking about some super, super strength. And I think this still, this really qualifies to me as in a way, the first full decade of the seventies. I talk about uh, how the seventies were actually three decades. And I think the first three years were sort of holdovers from the sixties, feeling out what was coming next 73 and on for the next few years was really when the seventies were the seventies that we remember. Uh, that we classify as 70s. Uh, Some notable debuts. Aerosmith's debut album in 73. 10CC, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, Barry Manilow, uh, who's still going strong. Buckingham Knicks, which is significant because this was pre-Fleetwood Mac. Tom Waits' debut album, Bruce Springsteen, had two albums, including his debut. Uh, Marshall Tucker, uh, MFSB, which is a Philly international band and absolutely worth listening to. If you want proto-disco at its finest, MFSB in 1973, debut album, New York Dolls, which showed the creeping in of glam rock and punk and all of that, uh, which hadn't quite reached you know, where it would yet. Pointer Sisters debut album, Queen's, Queen's debut, ABBA, Average White Band, again, creeping in of the funk disco influence into other bands and not just from that realm. Smokey solo debut album, which was the unofficial start of the Quiet Storm period, although that that song and that, that classification would come later. By the way, uh, listen to Smokey's 2023 album and let me know what you think, and that's all I'm saying. Susie Quattro's debut, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, which was a huge freaking like like cult success or success in general, just a freak success. It was kind of the proto one man band, like Badly Drawn Boy or Tame Impala, and just was huge. Other notable albums of the year, not debuts, uh, Bowie's Aladdin Sane, Leonard Skinnerd, which the Freebird was on this album, uh, Bob Marley, uh, I Shot the Sheriff, and Get Up Stand Up were on his 73 album. Uh, with this and with Toots, Toots and the Maytals, uh, Funky Kingston, and uh, the Harder They Come uh, movie soundtrack, really 73 signaled the real arrival of reggae as a thing in the United States, uh, is what I would say. Uh, Herbie Hancock, Super Funk Fusion, come on. John Prine and John Cale, Willie Nelson, which this album of Nelson's really might be the kickoff of the best period for country music and that kind of music outlaw, kind of country outlaw kind of feel. Uh, I still contend that it, or at least it's my favorite period for country, was like the mid to late 70s. Uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Al Green, uh, Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On, Graham Parsons, uh, Band on the Run from Wings, come on, probably their best. Uh, the Who's Quadrophenia, don't get me started. Iggy and the Stooges, and of course, Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions, we just talked about, the genius. Paul Simon was still in a role at this point. The Spinners put out a great album. Grand Funk Railroad were an American band. Uh, I've talked about them before. As someone said, they were the most successful band of the 70s. I don't think that's true. I think that was a way to get attention. And that writer, uh, good for you. But a lot of what you said in the book that you wrote, I think, was a way to get attention. Uh, Decent effort by Ringo, actually, in 73. uh, Maybe one of his last. 
full album. Although the nine or late eighty, the nineties, I believe he had some good albums too. Billy Joel's Piano Man, also in seventy three. Let's get to seventy four. Uh, honestly, seventy four was almost exclusively soft rock of various kinds. Though it's also important to note that funk and disco and and uh, glam and punk were starting to make waves in '74. Really interesting year. There were some whispers of electronic. Prague was getting about as big as it ever should have gotten, although it would probably get bigger. 74 was messy, like 73, but to me in sort of a less dynamic way, kind of really feeling it out. But under that was a real tension of integration, which was happening in the early part of the decade, turning more into division and segregating and kind of genreing out bands and fans, which is, you know, distressing and would continue for many, many years and uh, decades. Uh, there was it was also a division of looking forward and looking back, which of course we always have, but it was starting to really divide at this point in the seventies because we were leaving the sixties behind for good, and some people were getting upset with that. There was more of a codification of what Southern rock was in seventy four. Uh, top albums, I got to tell you, this year they shifted positions more than I think any previous year ever. I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah, and. Uh, more, more, uh, well, let me say this. I think that they may have shifted positions more than any year ever, but I have to do some, uh, subsequent research of other decades, but certainly it's the first year with a number one album shifted like in, like an insane, just insane, just absolutely schizophrenic. Uh, and also the most greatest hits albums hitting number one, I think in any given year. I'm not sure what the top selling album of the year was. I don't know anybody could tell. Well, somebody could tell you, but I couldn't find it. Uh, some of the t- number one albums: uh, The Carpenters, John Denver, Beach Boys, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and Elton John's hits. These were all greatest hits albums. All of those greatest hits albums hit number one. Jim Croce. Another hometown Philly hero, one of my favorites, had You Don't Mess Around with Jim, Operator, Time in a Bottle. What a great album. Come on. Glad it was number one. Another favorite, Gordon Lightfoot. This album had Sundown on it, one of my favorite songs of his. Uh, Planet Waves by Bob Dylan and the Band was a number one album. Streisand's The Way We Were, a favorite of my aunt, who's 96 years old. Uh, Band on the Run was uh, still number one a little bit. Uh, of course, that came out the year before. Chicago 7, what a run for Chicago. Another number one album as uh, another fave of mine. Uh, soundtrack for the movie The Sting, one of my all-time favorite movies and one of my all-time favorite soundtracks, Marvin Hamlish and uh, Scott Joplin, you know, that kind of feel. More Elton John, more John Denver, Clapton, Stevie Wonder continuing the genius run. Bad Company's debut was number was uh, number one. Olivia Newton-John had a number one album. Bachman Turner Overdrive had a number one album. Barry White, Carol King again had a number one album. John Lennon's Walls and Bridges and The Stones, It's Only Rock and Roll. I mean, that's a lot of number one albums in one year. Some notable debuts, not nearly as many as previous years. There were a lot of like established artists, really more. Uh, Brian E. Eno's Here Come the Warm Jets. Kisses debut, Kansas, The Commodores, Phoebe Snow, uh, Terry Jackson's Seasons in the Sun. Real tearjerker there, Terry uh, I believe he's dead. Uh, Tina Turner uh, d- debut. Todd Rundgren, Judas Priest, Rush. That album was not nearly at all like what they would become. Other, and that's it for debuts that I thought were significant. Other notable uh, releases in '74: Roxy Music. 
the Eagles, Lou Reed, Loretta Lynn and Ry Cooter, Tom Waits and Van Morrison and Keith Jarrett, Blue Oyster Cult and Queen, Rufus featuring Chaka Khan, The Meters, New Orleans Funk and Ohio Players, Randy Newman has the same birthday as I do, November 28th, another good Ringo album, so I was wrong, he had another good one in him, Thin Lizzy, ELO, Bowie's Diamond Dogs, Little Feet and Skinnerds, so Southern Rock representing Parliament and Funkadelic released albums. Sparks, don't let me, don't get me started on them. I should do an episode of them at some point. Miles Davis, Frank Zappa, Big Star, Super Tramp, Genesis, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Freaking Craftworks, Autobahn, Steely Dance, Pretzel Logic, huge, uh, Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark, more Bob Marley, which contained No More Woman, No Cry, Billy Joel's Street Life Serenade. Let's get to 1975, uh, another chaotic year. Just an out-and-out out fight for supremacy. So just the, the absolute messiness and insanity of the 1970s, very well represented, 73, 75, and I think even 76. This, is, this was the real 70s to me. Honestly, mostly soft rock, singer-songwriter, funk and soul, with just a pinch of hard rock and prog rock. Very transitional year, but also pretty solidly not looking backward. You know, you get to the mid of the decade and we're really sort of, this is the 70s or this is looking forward. Lots of now well-established artists still putting out super solid albums. Top albums of the year. The top album of the year was Elton John's Greatest Hits. Number one selling album of 1975. Uh, Chicago also put out Chicago 9, which was their first Greatest Hits collection. Uh, really, they, more than any band, I think, embodied the chaos of the decade. You know, that they did everything with their music and went everywhere and at certain points didn't really know where to go, frankly, and still created, you know, great music at times and were really willing to explore all avenues and uh, I'm, I'm sure there were other bands who did that, but I always kind of go to them as saying, oh, if you want a chaotic 70s band that kind of embodied what was going on, and at least in American music, you, you, you can't uh, probably get more quintessential than Chicago. Uh, Ohio Players and Earth, Wind & Fire and Average White Band and the Isley Brothers uh, were also had number one albums. Linda Ronstadt, Janice Ian, and John Denver and Paul Simon uh, who did uh, still? It was still crazy after all these years, and almost fifty ways to leave your lover on that album. Number one, physical graffiti from Led Zepp, uh, often considered their last great album, it was a number one. Uh, you can you can argue that amongst yourselves. Dylan's blood on the tracks. Uh, not two more Elton John albums, dude. Slow down. Uh, Wings is Venus and Mars. The Eagles. Jefferson Starship, uh, formerly Jefferson Airplane, soon to be Starship. Pink Floyd. Uh, this, this, these were all number one albums. Uh, one thing I should mention here is I've, I really feel like a review of the seventies shows how Elton John's peak was way before Billy Joel's peak. He really dominated the first part of the decade and certainly, you know, into the last part, but, but Billy Joel came more into his own towards the later part of the decade, honestly, and into the eighties. And that's further example of how they shouldn't really be compared. They're just different artists doing different things, despite the fact they both play piano. Uh, some notable debuts, lots of new jazz and funk and disco and Philly sound, uh, including sister sledge and the tramps and Yvonne fair, uh, had an album called The Bitch is Black. Love it. The Brecker Brothers debut. Crystal Gale, Eddie Rabbit, Eric Carmen, Patti Smith, Journey, Little River Band, Captain and Tennille, The Manhattan Transfer. It was actually their second recorded album, but first released. Uh, this is a vocal group that to me was looking both backward and forward. 
Uh, and you can, you know, if you're a fan of vocal groups, you can go ahead and discuss that. Gloria Gaynor, David Sanborn, Harbinger of Smooth Jazz, Ted Nugent, The Tubes, Heart debut in 75. Freaking heart. Other notable albums, continuing good music from Lou Reed, Frank Zappa, Deep Purple, Alice Cooper, The Eagles, The Isleys, Harold Melvin, Super Tramp, Grateful Dead, Noi, Foghat. This album had Slow Ride, Jethro Tull, Black Sabbath, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Roxy Music, Rufus featuring Chaka Khan, Alice Cooper. Didn't I mention him? Yeah. So Alice Cooper again? Who knows? War, Brian Eno, 10CC, Tangerine Dream, German Techno Pioneers, Freaking Smokey's A Quiet Storm in 1975. You know, people think of the miracles in the 60s. Of course they should, but people, they may forget the domination that Smokey had in the 70s uh, and even into the 80s somewhat. Kiss Alive, huge for them. It really broke them out. Queen's Bohemian uh, Rhapsody uh, was was on there. Donna Summer, had Love to Love You was on there. Aerosmith was their first really good album was this year. Fleetwood Mac was their breakout album was 1975. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. 1976. Undeniably settling into the 1970s. This really, again, is part of that middle uh, three, you know, middle three of the three decades. Decently eclectic, mostly mellow in a kind of rock meets country way or funky way or even both. Less frenetic than the previous two years. It really was settling. Lots of established artists rolling strong, though also some newer artists making splashes and other new artists kind of underground setting the stage for the end of the decade and beyond. Uh, top albums, uh, Chicago's Greatest Hits, Nine, uh, Holdover, number one, Earth, Wind & Fire, still on a roll. Dylan, uh, still scoring big, the album uh, Desire. Uh, Eagles' Greatest Hits, first ever platinum certification, though that is not the first time an album sold a million. Uh, 20 years, exactly 20 years before uh, Belafonte, Harry Belafonte's Calypso album was the first album in history to sell a million copies. I mentioned that in the first episode of this series. Frampton Comes Alive was the best and um, uh, top album of the entire year selling and a true phenomenon i mean really made frampton who frampton continues to be wings was on a roll led zeppelin the stones george benson one of my favorites fleetwood mac uh stevie's uh final in his run of unmatched genius the that five album run uh some and those were all the number one albums of the year some really great eclectic number one albums notable debuts air supply yacht rock baby billy ocean blondie Boston, John Mellencamp, Pat Metheny with Jaco Pastorius, bass uh, genius, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, so which, who has helped to establish the Jersey Shore sound, which I didn't really know was a thing. Mixing rock with R&B totally makes sense since where I come from and I do sort of that. 
in some ways. The Ramones, The Runaways, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers debut, Heat Wave, of, uh, subsequently of Always and Forever fame, Wild Cherry uh, of Play That Funky Music, White Boy, Half to, uh, Sean Cassidy debut album, I have to say it because I own the album and I had his poster on my wall, make whatever comments you will. David Soul debut album, wasn't going to mention it, and then he died recently, and I'm like, I think deserves a mention. Uh, music was his first love. Other notable albums in 1975, Al Stewart, You're the Cat, Bad Company, Jackson Brown, ACDC, Blue Oyster Cult, Bob Seger, Night Moves was on this, Boz Skaggs, Harrison put out a good one, Bee Gees, right before they broke big. Still doing kind of funky and stuff like that. Aerosmith was on a roll. James Brown, get up off of that thing. Genesis first without Gabriel. Funkadelic, Zappa, Abba Dancing Queen, Steely Dan, Rose Royce, Car Wash, yeah, Vandergraaf Generator, again, good album, Judas Priest, Marvin Gaye, and Elton put out good releases, Kiss's first non-live breakout album, Steve Miller, which had Fly Like an Eagle, Queen, Bowie Station, a station, Joan Armitrading, Bob Marley, The Outlaws, uh, which was, uh, you know, uh, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, etc. Thin Lizzy, Diana Ross, Rush's 2112, which fully established them as who they would be. Uh, and Joni Mitchell again. 1977 was really, to me, the final year of the middle period of the 70s, the final year of the classic 1970s, as far as I'm concerned, before it started shift to that later 70s clash between old guard and new guard and punk, and disco and blah, blah, blah. And you can see that in some of the debut albums that didn't quite make a splash just yet. So some top albums of the year. Stevie Wonder and Wings had holdovers for number one. Hotel California, The Eagles was a number one. Fleetwood Mac's Rumors was the top album of the year and absolutely dominated the charts, as I probably should have at the time. Manilow Live had a number one album. Linda Ronstadt had a number one album. So way fewer number one albums than in previous years, certainly than two years before. Again, settling into what the 70s kind of we think of them as. Some notable debuts in 77. Uh, 38 Special. Amy Grant. Meat Loaf's Bat Out of Hell. Lots of punk. Listen to this. Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Boomtown Rats. The Outsiders. The Clash. The Dam. The Saints. Television. Sex Pistols. Wire. Dead Boys. The Jam. Suicide. And then more punk than that even. Uh, Cheap Trick. Chic, Eddie Money, Foreigner, George Thorogood and the Destroyers, Motorhead, Elvis Costello's debut, LaBelle, Patti LaBelle's solo debut. So I guess I was wrong in the previous decade. That was, I believe, LaBelle, the band's debut, was earlier in the decade. And Patti LaBelle's solo was 77. Peter Gabriel's solo debut, Grace Jones, Reba McIntyre, started in 1977. Talking Heads, Teddy Pendergrass, Ultravox, Village People, Debbie Boone, You Light Up My Life, was a gigantic hit, and I do remember that. Those were the debuts. Um, notable, notable, other notable albums, Saturday Night Fever, which wouldn't make a big chart impact, honestly, until 78. But of course, culturally, it made a huge impact in 77. Steely Dan, Kansas, Kenny Rogers, Ted Nugent, ACDC, Rose Royce, again, Jimmy Buffett, Foreigner, Judas Priest, Ornette Coleman, uh, Cheap Trick, uh, again, Barry White, The Commodore, Supertramp, Waylon Jennings, Merle Haggard, Rush, Jethro Tull, James Taylor, Steve Miller. Yes, James Taylor was still going strong in 77. Thin Lizzy, Rufus, Kiss, Sticks, Billy Joel's The Stranger was 77. Donna Summer, Pink Floyd, Earth, Wind & Fire, Leonard Skinner, Iggy Pop, Giorgio Moroder. Look, Giorgio Moroder up. Natalie Cole in 77. I think that's when she had that, uh, God, I can't remember the damn name of the song. Uh, more Ramones, Weather Report, more Fusion, Queen still on a roll, Jackson Brown running on empty, 
uh, hitting his stride, Parliament, Bob Marley, Kraftwerk's Trans-Europe Express, David Bowie's Low and Heroes, both released in 1977. Let's get to 1978. I think it's going to be a slightly longer episode, frankly. Oh, and also programming note, it's multiple videos I'm doing here, and that's going to be editing hell. But, you know, I do it because I love all of you, even those of you uh, who disappoint me because you haven't heard all 200-some episodes. Yeah, that's you. Some uh, 1978 really was a true shift to a different decade in the decade. This is the third decade of the 1970s. Uh, lots of shark jumping, uh, which in my bonus episode, I talk about who went disco. It's not just surprising who went disco, but it's also surprising who did it well. And so patreon.com slash music is not a genre. You get to hear of some people who might surprise you who went disco, who were not disco originally. Uh, lots of clashing and culturally and, and politically and socially and musically. It's the first time disco makes a serious album chart impact. They certainly had singles hits well before that, a few years before at least, but album-wise, first year. Uh, yeah, and uh, top albums of the year, holdover from the previous year in, in 78, Rumors uh, from Fleetwood Mac, Saturday Night Fever, which was the top album of the year and as dominant in 78 as rumors was in 77 jerry rafferty okay you go ahead and look it up i i I don't have the time to do all this work dudes uh but jerry rafferty apparently an amazing album uh the stones uh was another number one album uh they they really kind of also kicked ass in the 70s the way the who did uh greece also one of the culturally huge and dominant albums of 1978 this is the Grease soundtrack. Boston, Linda Rodstadt, Donna Summer. Uh, again, again, you know, your disco. That was, uh, I think, her Giorgio Moroder um, collaboration. Billy Joel's 52nd Street, which was his first number one album. So you had a lot of Elton number ones before then. 78, Billy Joel's first number one album, 52nd Street. Other notable debuts, quite a bit of disco, quite a bit of post-punk, and some metal. Uh, Japan debut, New Wave Pioneers, uh, Alicia Bridges, who did I Love the Nightlife, Love to Boogie, the Buzz, the Buzzcocks debut, Atlantic Star, a great R&B band who would dominate more in the 80s, Patrick Hernandez, Born to be Alive, Born to be Alive, or something, yeah, Blues Brothers debut, not The Cars, 1978 debut, Rick James, Dire Straits, Princess for You came out in this year, Generation X with Billy Idol, uh, Los Lobos, Midnight Oil, so 70s bands, right? Per Ubu, Molly Hatchet, The Police's first album, P.I.L., Out of the Sex Pistols, Johnny Rotten, Devo, Quiet Riot, was 78, Roseanne Cash, Spyro Gyra, classic fusion band, classic fusion. When I think of fusion, I think of Weather Report, Spyro Gyra, usually first. Squeeze's debut, Toto's debut, Whitesnake, Van Halen's debut album, Look Up by Episode with Steve Rosen, Kate Bush's debut, other notable releases in 1978, Rod Stewart's disco album, uh, Black Sabbath's Last with Ozzy for quite a while, Van Morrison and Nugent and Clapton had good albums, Jethro Tull, ACDC, Alice Cooper's concept album, Go ahead, look it up. Farner continuing its success. Same with Cheap Trick. Chicago's Hot Streets. Uh, first album uh, without Terry Kath. Uh, tragic Death. Better Than Remembered. And there's some disco in there too. Ramones. Moody Blues Return. 
after a, a, a hiatus. Boney M, huge disco uh, act overseas. Sticks, Judas Priest, The Doobies, Rush, The Jam, Peter Gabriel, Warren Zevon, Queen, Sylvester, which is you make me feel, uh, you know, good song. Bob Seger's breakout album, Big Star, Wire, Willie Nelson uh, does the standards, which actually did really well. Another great Kraftwerk album. Why do I want to say Kraftwerk? Landmark Blondie album, Elvis with the Attractions, Funkadelic, One Nation Under a Groove, Clash's number two album, Eno's Music for Airports, ambient music was becoming a thing. Talking Heads' second album with Brian Eno. Eno was becoming a thing. 1979, final year, far from the last gasp of the 1970s, as we know, each decade kind of uh, blends into the, 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 the subsequent decade for a couple of years. But honestly, an absolutely great period for production, as I've always said, dry and crisp and interesting and varied. Better disco than remembered, because of course there was the backlash by a lot of uh, racist uh, homophobes who killed disco, even though it was it was doing well and would have its revenge, not just today, but even in the early 80s when uh, genres like high energy and techno and house would come and, and, and so much more. Lots of solid uh, album-oriented rock and middle of the road, some actual post-punk slash new wave making some impacts, though not nearly as much as it would uh, in later years. Overall, uh, kind of a quiet year, but deceptively quiet. And it's a deceptively quiet end to an insane, freaking tumultuous decade. Uh, Some of the stalwarts released some great albums, honestly, and some underground and off the charts. Everything was bubbling that would change music into what it would become in the 1980s and beyond, particularly post-punk, new wave and post-disco, as I mentioned. Some top albums of the year, uh, Streisand's Hits Volume 2, Blues Brothers, Rod Stewart, uh, the Doobies, all these were released in 1978, but hit number one in 1979. Uh, I guess same with Billy Joel's uh, 52nd Street. Uh, well, that was actually the top album of all of 1979. So talk about becoming a thing. That's when he did. Uh, BG's uh, bigger success uh, follow up to Saturday Night Fever than remembered. It was all, you know, that's that had the song Tragedy on it. Supertramp, Donna Summer's Bad Girls, The Knack, My Sharona. They were supposed to be the next Beatles. Good song, though. Zeppelin, In Through the Outdoor, final studio album. Eagles, The Long Run. Most of these albums stayed at number one for quite a while, so not very uh, insane as far as that. Some notable debuts. Lots of post-punk and punk and ska. 2020, never heard of them. Excellent power pop band. Been listening to their stuff recently. Uh, They had some great 90s albums, too. B-52's debut. The Slits, Gang of Four, The Germs, The Dickies, Stiff Little Fingers, Joe Jackson, one of my favorites, Cabaret Voltaire, The Motels, Gary Newman, The Mekons, The Raincoats, The Cure's debut album, Joy Division, uh, the one everybody wears the T-shirt of this album, and even though they probably don't know where it comes from. Madness is one step beyond. The Specials, The Pretenders, Simple Minds, Ricky Lee Jones, Chuckie's Alone, no, uh, 1979 debut. Christopher Cross's debut. Just heard a Christopher Cross song recently. He seems to be back for some reason. GQ, Disco Nights. Uh, Amy Stewart, Knock on Wood, was a disco hit. It was a hit so many ways, uh, so many different versions, and this was one of the good versions. McFadden and Whitehead, Hometown Heroes, Ain't No Stopping Us Now, was in 1979, was on that album. It was a hit in 80, I believe. Lips Incorporated, who did an amazing version of Funky Town. Tina Marie, Pat Benatar, all debut albums. Other notables uh, from 79, 
Michael Jackson's Off the Wall, The Clash's London Calling, Pink Floyd's The Wall, uh, ACDC's Highway to Hell, Sister Sledge, We Are Family, Fleetwood Max Tusk, more Elvis Costello, more Earth, Wind and Fire, Tom Petty, The Police, Cool and the Gang just getting stronger and stronger, The Gap Band starting to surge, Smokey Robinson's still strong, Pretenders killing it, Prince's second album, Van Halen's second album, The Kinks were still in it, The Cars continued their surge of popularity and success, Wings' last album ever was 1979. Brings us to the end of the decade, and uh, and a final note, and I think it's a very important note, and and that is this: a lot of uh, new kinds of music debuted in the 1970s, and and like I said, so much of it uh, became what we uh, know of as music today in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and beyond, and very little has been added to the the types of uh, I mean genres sort of certainly expanded since then, but in terms of that the ways in which we produce music elements, the elements of production, I would say, because you already had electronic, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, other things would come along sequencers and stuff. But as you may know, and if, if you are a student of the seventies and of music in general, there's one kind of music that I didn't mention at all. And that is hip hop. And there's a reason for that. We know hip hop started in the seventies there were proto-hip-hop earlier than that, but it really came to be in the 70s. And there were some amazing singles in the 1970s, hip-hop-wise. And of course, a lot of it was just underground. I'm pretty much, almost all of it was underground. But the truth is that the first full album of hip-hop did not come out until 1980, Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, there were bands such as the Fatback Band's uh, 1979 album 12, XII, which featured the song King Tim 3, which had rapping on it. So it had hip hop. It had a hip hop influence on an album that was mostly funk or disco or whatever else it was. But a full hip hop album that does, doesn't exist from the 1970s. It was 1980, the first album, and I, I, am, I think that's very important to mention because of how important hip-hop is just to music in general. And uh, I just want to make sure that people didn't think I was excluding it for any particular reason. So conclusions. Uh, first conclusion, what a messy fucking decade. Man, I mean, if we think of things like uh, what was going on in politics between Nixon and Ford and Carter and the hostages in, in Iran and, and, and then what was going on economically with the gas shortages and, 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 not, and then recessions and stuff like that, just an absolute insanity, and what was going on socially and sexually and all of that stuff, it was all reflected in music, all reflected. And look... Every decade has its messiness, but there's certain type of messiness that you expect from any given decade that's just a part of the way things morph. And because the 70s were really three decades in one, it was honestly really, even notwithstanding some of the decades that came after and certainly before, I think musically speaking, it was probably the messiest decade ever. And again, yielding some absolute genius and just some absolute over-the-top crap as well. And really those middle years... Uh, when the number one album changed almost weekly and jumped from genre to genre, they were freaking exciting because nobody knew where anything was going. And it benefited, I think, most artists because it allowed them to be like, hey, I've got this, let's try this, or I'm going to do this on my album, or I'm going to change this up. And it wasn't all successful, but the stuff that was successful really not just uh, made an impact musically for those years, but uh, but a lot of it made impacts for years and years and years to come. 
I mean, there was an insane, insane explosion of creativity. Uh, and like I said, a long list of new genres and subgenres, and, and those subgenres would splinter out in subsequent decades. And a couple new overall genres would be created in the eighties, nineties, uh, you know, but most of even those overall genres were really just offshoots of other, like when you think of grunge as a mix of like 70s rock and punk and metal or whatever you want to think. It's a it's a different genre, but it's a really a mix of older genres in a lot of ways. Uh, just to sum up, the first three years to me were an echo of the 1960s. That's decade one. 73 to 77 was solid chaos and quintessential classic 1970s. That's decade two. And 78 and 79 were the kind of reinvention, rejiggering period, and, and uh, what we thought was working wasn't working anymore, and new things were coming along, and that was decade three of the 70s, the three decades of the 70s. Uh, I really think, again, that the 70s were were had more distinct periods of movement like this, and more chaotic and more kind of uh, dynamic and incendiary than other decades did in many, many ways. Uh, when we listen to music from the 1970s, it's, it's, if you know anything really, even a little, it's not hard to tell what part of the decade it came from. Certain beats, certain ways things were produced, certain types of rock and, and certain types of funk and, and all these other things. And even country, you can kind of tell, oh yeah, no, that was mid seventies or this was early or late seventies. And again, I I can tell you when a song was from 1982 as opposed to 1988, but I think uh, it was even more prominent in the 70s. Uh, regardless of my love hate, it, it was my conclusion. Really, is the 70s were as good as everyone says. Uh, I'm not again going to say best year in music ever. That doesn't exist. But an amazing, amazing decade for music. The difference is that most people focus on the big ticket bands like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin or solo artists like David Bowie and Elton John, all amazing, but they miss out on all the incredible underground and forward thinking stuff, as well as gems from older artists who were pre-existing. So really, in a way, the 70s were actually better than everyone says if we're willing to look beyond the headlines, which is something I always uh, you know, promote. Well, music is not a genre. Which leads, leads me to a featured song. Uh, the featured song for this episode is a cover tune I did under the, the name, the production name, The Drop, uh, released a few years ago of uh, The Faces, the Rod Stewart's band, uh, their big hit, Stay With Me. I was asked to do this by a co-star of a film that I uh, directed and co-produced and, and co-starred in as well, and did almost I did a lot of the music for and also found some great indie bands. Uh, but uh, this was one of the songs I produced for that album, uh, for that movie, which I then released and is now streaming everywhere, and their links are below. Uh, and you will also hear it in just a minute or two at the end of this episode. I did Stay With Me deliberately as sort of a slacker because it's not my favorite song, but not my favorite band or or singer, although it's kind of neat. I tightened it up from the original. So to me, it it kind of is a perfect pick for this, not just because it's a 70s song, but production wise to me, the way I did Stay With Me and with my partner, uh, Daniel Cousins at the time, shows what an early 70s song would have sounded like if it had been produced in the late 70s. So it sort of bridges that gap. It spans the entire decade with both its, with its, 
uh, composition and when it came out and its production and how it's being delivered by me and the and the music and the way we produced it. Uh, and don't forget the bonus episode for this artist who went disco at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. My questions for you are what are your favorite albums in the 1970s? Do you have any? Is this your favorite decade for albums or do you feel like it's overrated? Are there other decades you prefer? Uh, are your favorite albums uh, existing in uh, from they're from other decades, but from the 1970s? Can you hear the difference between early, middle and late period 1970s music? And I mean the stark difference. Can can you hear it? Can you also hear the transitions between those periods and the transitions from the 60s uh, to the 70s and from the 70s to the 80s? I want to know your answers to all of these because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for hanging with me for this ultra mega episode, part three of What's an Album and Why? And I will talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 